This is Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. It's good to be here again. We are still considering our dear friend Job. Job. Today we'll be looking at Job chapter 11 through 18, and it is day... We are on days 29 and 30. Congratulations. We are almost... Well, is this the last day? No. No, okay. We got one more. One more day, and then you're one-twelfth of the way done. I know. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. So I hope you're enjoying the story. I know we are. Let's just jump into it. What's the deal with Zophar? Yeah, so we end with Job uh, replying to Bildad and Eliphaz, and now Zophar. Let me give some Old Testament music here. Zophar, sweet Zophar, is number three, the third friend. Third friend. Apparently the youngest. Yeah. And and the most zealous. Yes. So he just decides to let Job have it. Like, his other, the first two were kind of harsh and not not comforting at all. But Zophar just goes for it and basically says, man, you have, you're actually lucky. Like, God is punishing you less than your sins deserve in... Verse 6, like the latter half of verse 6, he says, Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Like, he's just like, Job, you deserve so much worse than this. Yeah, it's pretty much like the friend that all of a sudden he snaps. Like, mm-hmm. he's gonna, he's so self righteous. Mm-hmm. And he just knows the problem. And the problem for Zophar is, man, you need tough love. Right. And here it is, Job. No one's going to say it to you, but I'm going to say it. You're a total jerk. And Job, in, in the midst of his suffering, remember, Job is covered from toe to head by sores. He's being physically afflicted by Satan, and he's lost everything. And yeah, you know, the solution in those times is always, you know, really tough, tough love and blaming the person. That's going to turn him around. Right. That's going to really uh, get Job to do the right thing, buddy. Of course, it's ridiculous. Right. And so we have Job then, go, like, just replying and being like, oh, my goodness, like, why, Lord? Why are these the people that are talking to me? Right. And <laughs> who are you? Why are you my friends and family? <laughs> right. My wife has cursed me, and now my friends show up, and all they do is, like, put more pain. Now I'm suffering physically. I'm suffering spiritually, and now mm-hmm. I'm suffering emotionally. Right, and because like they're trying to prove to him that he's a bad guy, and he's kind of going, "I already know," right, and I've been working on it, and so his whole thing in chapter twelve is, "Look, like you guys are petitioning to these weird spiritual experiences, to tradition." He's like, "Look at just nature, and at the birds and the beasts of the field, and." Look at everything around you, and they will tell you that suffering is out of our control. Right. There's nothing that we can do to avoid suffering or earn blessing. There's God is in control. No, it's funny. You said bird and beasts. I thought you were going to say the bird and the bees. Mm. That's a good, like, fake Look, today yeah. we're going to talk about the bird and the beasts. beasts which is of about, the field. About creation. <laughs> um, what's so cool reading this is you can get the story of creation. You can get so much deep theology from Job in Mm -hmm. the midst of his suffering. And he's only considering this kind of horizontal view of, 
of life, like the, the realm of man. Right. So he's experiencing everything now on the horizontal view of this is the laws of the earth. And no brainer, there's a God who creates everything. Mm-hmm. I get it. And a no brainer, I'm a tiny speck right. in the whole picture of things. I get it, guys. And so you putting guilt on me to be something different isn't going to change this situation. Please stop. And instead, Job goes again to God and confesses that God is um, in charge of everything. Yeah, so in verse 13, he then readdresses his... Chapter 13? Oh, yeah, Yeah. sorry. Chapter 13, he readdresses his complaint to God because, again, he's like, I don't want to talk to these jokers. I want to talk to God. Mm -hmm. And he... uh, Verse 15, he's basically saying... He says in verse 15, though he slay me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my ways to his face. This will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before him. So the idea that even though he's being, he's suffering and he's seeing that suffering come from God, he still recognizes the only way out of this is through God. Yeah. Like God will, will have mercy on him or he won't. And there's nothing that Job can do to manipulate God's behavior. Right, and that's the key, I think, that we're going to see for the next several chapters in Job is that all of our religious inclinations, religion is trying to connect to God through manipulation. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we look at, you know, you might hear the phrase, Christianity is not religion, it's relationship. And that sounds kind of trite, but it's actually true. Mm -hmm. That uh, that's the beauty and the power of our God being in relationship with us and not manipulating us, and we don't have to manipulate him. Mm -hmm. We come honestly by it. And so these guys cannot imagine what that looks like, and so they're purely operating on how the world works, which is you have to manipulate the field, you have to manipulate your neighbor to get what you need and what you want. You do this the right way and you get this result. Right. And that's true on this plane, but when we're talking about God, there's a vertical relationship where it's all a gift from God. Mm-hmm. Well, and Job, then, yeah, so. Yeah, he, again, he just goes on. Did, did you see verse 14, chapter 14? Yes. Did you, were you waiting to come to that? I was uh, excited about yeah, this. Yeah, I was, yeah, go for it. So it says, if a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my service, I would wait till my renewal shall come. So as early as Job, chronologically, one of the first books written, yeah, the idea of resurrection is in place. Yeah, the resurrection. And then what I was noticing, too, was in the verses right underneath that, yeah, uh, 15, 16, and 17, he recognizes God's ability to cover his sins. Yeah, my and, transgression would be sealed up in a bag and you would cover over my iniquity. So he recognizes God's forgiveness and redemptive power, like he that as a being grace. Right. Like already, like the law has not been given. He's not it's not it doesn't seem like he's part of Israel. Right. Uh so he is outside of that and yet he still understands these basic themes. Of God. Let's say the law has not been written down, but God has been revealed the law yeah, through to and revealed who he is. Who he is. And so this is what is keeping Job around, mm-hmm. is that through all his suffering and all his pain, he's refusing to meet God in a mechanical way because he knows if he does, mm-hmm. he's dead. And so themes of resurrection, themes of grace and mercy and the need of a mediator just reek through this. It's amazing. 
And as we continue, though, you keep going through um, day 30, you get to chapter 15, mm-hmm. and um, it's in his response to Eliphaz. So we'll meet Eliphaz, but I just, along my line of thought here, Job starts to sound like, it almost sounds like um, a scene from Jesus' crucifixion, you know, the kind of suffering, the way he's relating to it. Mm-hmm. And it made me think like, wow, Jesus is really taking all of our sin, taking all of the pain. The, you know, death comes from sin. Sin produces death. And Jesus is walking through it. And Job, at the very beginning, experiences the full kind of wrath of God, the full being abandoned by God yeah. to the enemy. And yeah. then Jesus is going to do that. Only Jesus will have power to overcome it, a power that Job wasn't appointed to, you know. Yeah, he does not have. Anyway, that but I go I, I need to I need to digress here. Yeah, so in fifteen we have Eliphaz, he he's jumping right in. Sweet Eliphaz, man. Did you get that there's a great line in there where he says the tongue is crafty? Yeah, there's I mean he, he the, says your iniquity teaches your mouth and you choose the tongue of the crafty. I'm definitely gonna try that work that in my vocabulary. They say if you use a phrase or something three times it gets into your vocabulary. And I would love to be able to say <laughs> to somebody, you're choosing the tongue of the crafty. Yeah. Uh, but he takes it personally, Eliphaz. He's like, do you think you know better than us? We're a righteous, godly men. And if this isn't happening to us, why is it happening to you? Yeah. And I think he is reacting very personally. And Job had had made several uh, derisive remarks about Eliphaz's spiritual experience. Yeah. And so now in chapter 15, we see Eliphaz um, looking to generational lines and tradition and like kind of going the way of Bildad and being like, well, our fathers did this and this is what they've taught and we we should look at that now. And so he's kind of backtracking a little bit. Eliphaz looks exactly like how we all look when we're using someone else to try to explain our situation. Mm -hmm. So like... I'm good. That's why I'm not sick like you, Job. Right. And then Job has the nerve to say, maybe I'm not good. And then I start using historical arguments and I start <laughs> attacking. And this is what will always happen to you, you know, especially when you find Jesus and your life is changing. People start to look at themselves and they project their anger about themselves onto you. And they use, uh, we call this spiritual manipulation mm-hmm. and self-righteousness and all that. But um, Eliphaz, man... Yeah. He just keeps assuming. He's angry. He's assuming and he's accusing mm-hmm. of Job being prideful and and trusting in his own wisdom and um, basically calls him unrepentant, rebellious person. Yeah. Uh, and then Job in 16 is like, <laughs> oh my, like, you oh. guys are miserable comforters. Yeah. And he says, Eliphaz calls him like a windbag. Or yes. Something. And then Job responds. I love this because yeah. it gives us some permission to defend ourselves. He says, uh, shall windy words have an end? Or what provokes you that you answer? Basically, yeah. oh, I'm a windbag? Dude, you should listen to yourself. Himself. You're producing a lot of wind right now at a faz. <laughs> uh, yeah, the wordplay in this is actually pretty impressive. Job is constantly turning their words on him. Yeah. And then they'll try to turn his words on, that, on, on Job and with less effect. Uh, it is kind of like how Jesus handles the Pharisees turning their words Mm -hmm. and accusations and their legal understanding. Yeah, so in 16, 
he's just going like, everyone has abandoned me. You are no friends of mine. You are just accusing me. My wife's accusing me. God has abandoned me. Uh, the only hope I have, though, is to talk to God. Mm-hmm. If only I could talk to God. And that's where my hope is. And that leads into 17. And he's basically just crying out, where is my hope? Where is my hope? Who will see my hope? Yeah. That, uh, where is my hope? He's still looking to God. But this is where it gets eerily reminds me of Jesus suffering on the cross. And he cries out, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Mm -hmm. Like there's a very real moment where God is allowing, where he's turning his back on the son. And in this case, he's turned and allowed Satan to torment Job. Mm -hmm. And so we don't fault Job. Job yeah. cries out like Jesus. And it's these, these chapters, if you get a chance to read them, they're, um, they're really just beautiful identifications of what we suffer in this earth um, and the places where God's light is not being allowed to shine. Yeah. So where is my hope? He keeps that hope. And, uh, and then... And then Bill Dad, Bill Dad comes in. He's also now angry at this point. Little Bill Dad. And he, his whole chapter 18 is an implication of, Job, you should repent or else you're going to die. God will just kill you. Yeah. Now they're mad at Job. So it's mm-hmm. turned. They're trying to help him out. You know, yeah. everyone's trying to help you fix let's, your problems. Let's be instructive and yeah, wise. Try this. And now they feel like you're just rejecting our good advice. Mm-hmm. And that's the pride we Christians fall into often. We're trying to help somebody and we kick God out of the way and don't wait for him to do anything in the person we quote unquote love because we have all the solutions and Mm -hmm. we have all the power. And if people would just bow down and worship us, their lives would be better, which is of course a joke. Yeah, because it's, and it's easy to do this when you're not suffering and someone else is. And so you easily want to go, well, what have I done to be in the position that I am in? And we have to recognize Nothing. <laughs> so there's, there's like a twofold thing for me. One is when you're suffering, you, we cannot replace God. Mm-mm. So like I feel like there's times in my life where I've taken the advice of Bildad. And I'm like, am I doing it good now, Bildad? And, and the worst thing that happens is maybe things get a little better. But now I need Bildad. Mm-hmm. And where's Bildad? Mm-hmm. And Bildad's like, hey, man, you're smothering me. I'm like, what? And I think that's why people get hurt in church. We make people, God, because we listen to them, because they assume to speak for God. Now, that's one side of it. The other side is, don't assume to speak for God to people, unless you're saying the words of God. Like, don't tell people, oh, I know how, because I had good experience in my marriage. I can't tell you how to do yours. Like, oh, what you need to do, you could have avoided that divorce if you just maybe rubbed feet. It's like, I did rub her feet. It didn't work, Adam. Um, (laughs) Right. And so... You see the replacement of God, and everybody has good motives, uh, kind of, but when you dig deeper into your motives, you realize it's pride. Mm -hmm. I want you to do what I say because I think I know, and I feel important, and I want to save you, and that need to save people um, is destructive. It's very destructive, and and both sides of it. Mm -hmm. If you are looking today to somebody to save you other than Jesus, there's only a matter of time until you have these same conversations. Mm-hmm. You're going to be totally frustrated, and s- the suffering does not go away with time. Mm-hmm. It has to be dealt with. Yeah. So get your act together, and then you can get saved is a major theme in our in our cultural Christianity, which is what Bildad's saying. And it's been a major theme, apparently, since the beginning of the yeah, world. Yeah, like nothing new <laughs> under the sun, right? Like, 
if I just get my act together and I stop doing this sin, I stop doing that sin, then I'll go to church. Then I'll be a good Christian. And the message is, no, you just need to turn to Christ. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like you go in your brokenness because uh, otherwise you're left with no gospel message. And where there's no gospel message, there is no comfort. And then I'll sure. do the bumper sticker. You add the K-N-O-W. Okay. <laughs> no the gospel, no comfort. Anyway. Thank you. That was our Old Testament reading. Let's turn the pages here, man. Let's uh, to New Testament. Oh, let's do my New Testament. Uh, introduce us, Matt. Our New Testament reading is Matthew chapter twenty. I do appreciate that as the readings for Job get longer and longer, the yeah. uh, New Testament readings become uh, shorter. Shorter and shorter. <laughs> well, just to catch us up, I believe Matthew. Uh, He connects these ideas. I I don't know if I've always seen them. In fact, I know I haven't. For so long, I used the Bible to find like a little passage, like I was looking for comfort. And so I found the verse that comforted me. Mm -hmm. And then I tried to read the verses around it, but I really didn't have context. But that's okay. God's so gracious. His word is effective regardless of our motives. But it's fun to grow. And as we grow, I'm seeing that Matthew has these amazing themes. And one of the themes is about how we love each other. And, and the only way to love each other is under the reception of God's love. Mm-hmm. So like, you cannot love me until you receive God's love. But here's the thing. Receiving God's love is apparently harder than we think. <laughs> so he gives the uh, teaching about divorce. He talks about the children. And I want to connect the rich young man. So we'll come back to it. But the rich ruler who walks away yesterday right, or the last episode, and he says, you know, he was sad. He couldn't do it. Well, I believe the thought continues, the theme. Yes. Because at the end of that, he says, many who are first will be last and the last first. Right. Okay. So now chapter 20. What's the story, Matt? It's a great story. Yeah. So Jesus uses another parable for the, what the kingdom of heaven is like. And it is like a master of the house who goes out into the marketplace and finds laborers. So there'd be poor people that don't have steady jobs that would hang out in the marketplace. And they basically were up for hire. Right. I have a place like this by my house where guys show up and it's day laborers Mm -hmm. still. And so they wait until the person with the job comes by and they're ready to go. Right. But otherwise they have nothing. Yeah. And so... He sees, he sees a bunch of guys there, says, hey, do you want to come and work uh, in my vineyard for a denarius, which is just a normal day's wage? Okay. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. And so they get out there and start working. Then he goes back to the marketplace two hours later, sees some more guys, and is like, what are you doing? They're like, oh, no one's hired us yet. Well, come, come on, I'll pay you whatever's fair. And he keeps doing this. Like every two hours, he keeps going back and bringing more people in. Right. And then we finally get to the end of the workday. The final guys have only worked for an hour. They show up to get paid, and he gives them a, a denarius, which is a day's wage. And so the guys who worked for the full day see this and go, oh, man, I wonder what we're going to get. And the master ends up paying everyone the, a denarius. The same. <laughs> but, but I was here earlier. I did more work than my right. brother. And let the complaining begin. See, I, I think Jesus, this is a beautiful parable for a lot of reasons, but he's recalibrating our notions of value. Mm-hmm. Who's valuable? What's valuable? And so uh, I think 
this one we all do very easily. Yes. We look at the work that we've done. I've worked five more hours than you, Matt. I'm more than 10 years older than you. Why would God bless you the same as me? <laughs> and I know it sounds silly in this context, but I mean, I remember, and I, there's still times where when someone else gets blessed, you get a little judgy, like, well, I did it, to, you know, I did a good job. Mm-hmm. No one cares about me. But really, this is um, addressing the Pharisees and addressing the people who are uh, the, fa- the Sadducees, the people who knew the law of God and figured they knew everything. And so why would Jesus be hanging out with the tax collectors and the fishermen and the mm-hmm. prostitutes and blessing them? Like the real Savior wouldn't do that. He would come to those of us who have worked here longer. He would give us more. We would be on the inside track. But Peter's on the inside track. Mm-hmm. John and James are on the inside. Come on. And, and so after the rich young ruler, he's saying, look, you, this is all my mercy. Yeah, this is all charity. I mean, salvation belongs to the Lord. I give it. You don't earn it. And it was a blessing. Otherwise, you were idle in the market. Right. And you agreed from the beginning to work for a denarius. Like the guys he, he, he hired yeah. first, they agreed to what he said. Yeah, he says, you know, am I doing, I'm doing you no wrong. This is what you agreed for. So I choose to give this last worker as I gave to you. Um, I'm, am I not allowed to do what I choose and with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Mm. That's the line. And then Jesus connects it to the, um, the rich young ruler. He says, so the last will be first and the first last. Maybe Jesus is trying to tell us something. What, what do you think he's trying to tell us? I think he's trying to say the last will be first and the first will be last. Oh, okay. But it's too hard to comprehend when you are used to being first. <laughs> Why? I've done it all right. Okay, but let's go on. He, uh, he drops in verse 17 through 19, yeah. you know, just casually drops and foretells his death and resurrection for a third time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this hit me. Yeah. Because he's been, because again, I think this is just Matthew being, I mean, one, Jesus is brilliant, and two, Matthew is putting this all together really right. well. And he is following the theme of service and the last yep. shall be first and the first shall be last. And yep. so he's saying, look, you guys look at me as the leader. I'm letting you know that my plan is to die. Yes. My plan is to die. They can't comprehend it. But then I realized this is the third time he said it. Yeah. Two things came to mind. One, you're going to have in John where Jesus says, I have authority to give my life, to lay it down and pick it up again. Mm -hmm. And I liked how no one's going to say, no one can possibly say that Jesus was surprise attacked, that he failed, Mm -hmm. he didn't know it was coming, and Satan or people just quieted this rebellion. He knew the whole time he's saying, this is what I'm doing. I am sacrificing. I'm leaving the riches above. I'm becoming the last uh, even though I'm the first, mm-hmm. I'm the first one to suffer, the last one to get all the treasure. Like, this is what I'm doing. And the other connection I made was Peter denies Christ three times. Yes. Peter is here hearing he's going to die. He's going to die. He's going to die. And then it's, do you know this Jesus? No. Do you know this Jesus? No. Do you know this Jesus? No. Weeping. Right. Um, I, I just think it's beautiful. So Jesus always ends it, though, with, but I'm going to be raised on the third day. Mm-hmm. Completely, I think it's important that we know it's a plan. Yeah, it he, wasn't just accidental. No, he is aware of what's happening, and his actions are 
saying he's aware because he's now moving closer to Jerusalem, which he knows is where he's going to die. Ooh, and I was just thinking too, the authority that we yield or wield, that authority is to lay down your life. Mm. It's not to, well, we'll get there because he talks about this, about the kind of authority and power we'll have in his kingdom, Mm -hmm. which is the next, the very next situation. This is why they're all connected that uh, the mothers, the mother of sons of Zebedee came up to him. Uh, do you know who the sons of Zebedee are? John and James? Yeah, James. Yeah. Yeah. So sons of two, Thunder. So two of the inner circle. Right. And Jesus says, what do you want? She says, um, these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. Would you let them sit there? So like, again... She's thinking you're a political leader who's going to have power. Of of your little followers, I think my boys deserve to sit at your right and left hand. Right, and they have proven to be like within the inner circle. Yeah. Like they've seen him transfigure. They've seen a lot. Did of, we already go over that? Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. Sorry. And so yeah, so she she's like, look, I know, man. It's not. I think we want to be like, where's this coming from? But I think at this point it's kind of been established that they're at least in the top three. Right. So she's just trying to be a good mom and secure something for her boys. And before we judge everybody, I hope you're thinking this way at your work. <laughs> you know? Like, hey, am I next in line for the promotion? And right. here's why. And then at the right time, make a request, you know? Mm-hmm. Ask the Lord. So they're not, they're not in trouble for asking this. Right. What the issue is going to be is they just don't know what they're asking. Correct. But look how Jesus responds. He responds much different than the rich young ruler or even the f- people in the field. He says, you don't know. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they, in their naivete, yeah. say, yes, we'll drink naivete. it. We'll drink whatever. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, you will drink my cup. Yeah, you will. He's so gracious to mm-hmm. him because what Jesus is referring to is the cup of God's wrath. <laughs> right. Like, the mashed up grapes, blood of wrath being poured out, the imagery of exile and death. You know what's interesting? <laughs> is there is kind of a twofold grace here. Like so yeah. so Jesus is gonna take drink the cup of God's wrath, but they're gonna drink his cup, which is yeah. the cup of communion. Oh, so beautiful. And then communion has been turned into something joyous. Mm-hmm. A wine, you know, oh, that's very sweet. So he says, okay. You'll drink a little bit of my cup, mm-hmm. but to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant. It is for those, it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. So like, he's gently saying, "You don't, you don't understand the hierarchy." Like I literally am sitting at the, going to sit at the right hand of God, yeah. And God's going to set up the kingdom. But I think they're excited too about the the twelve thrones. Like you've left your oh, family. Oh yeah, yeah. You've he did just drop things. that. Yeah, you're all gonna have some place in my kingdom, mm-hmm. and so it's like, hey, can I be close to you? Because I really love you. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus isn't um, indignant, but the other, you know, whenever you ask for a promotion, all the other people in your work are like, indignant. Why didn't I think about that? Yeah, why did you do that? You know, I'm next in line. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I don't want to say it, but maybe you're not as good as me. Um, but Jesus called them all. So Jesus hears about this. Mm-hmm. And this is where you can get good management skills from Jesus. Yeah. He, he hears there's rumbling, grumblings, and he says, come here. You guys know the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So he's like, yeah, I understand you all want authority, but here's what authority looks like in the kingdom of God. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you 
must be your slave, even as the Son of Man. And I think this is the pivotal verse. Mm -hmm. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the theme. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. You see it all the way through. In each one of these, I think he, he's proclaiming this truth to each kind of person, right? Right. To the rich man who thinks he's following the law, to the laborers who thinks they've followed God and done enough and they should be first, now to the disciples who think they should be great. And he's like, I'm telling you guys again, we are servants. We die to bring back to life. And that's how, uh, that's how we find we have authority to do that. And then I, I put it together. Matthew puts the healing of two blind men because this perfectly shows us what we all are. Right. So they're walking. Uh, they went out to. Um, they went out of Jericho, and a great. So there's always a great crowd following him. Mm-hmm. And so the great crowd, you know, is like trying to respect Jesus and watch Jesus, but they want to be wherever he is. But as soon as someone else kind of, you know how it is like you're into something, but then someone else is like ridiculously into it. Like you're wearing a Star Wars T-shirt, and someone's wearing Star Wars underwear over their Star Wars sweatpants, over their Star Wars helmet, or something ridiculous, and you're uh-huh. like, dude, you're ruining it. Mm-hmm. That's what these blind guys do. <laughs> they overkill, right? So they're screaming, Son of David! Son of David, have mercy on us! Lord, have mercy on us! Son of David! And everyone's like, shut up, man. Yeah. You guys are blind beggars. If any of us are going to get his attention, it's not going to be you. <laughs> like, I followed, and I'm sure there are people like, I've been with him for three weeks. I, w- I discovered him. Like, when right. you discover your, you know... Your favorite band. I discovered the Beatles yeah. before they were big, huh. you know? Yeah. Did um, you? I don't know. No, oh, okay. no of course not. Oh. Um, <laughs> I did, however... <laughs> I did discover uh, Mumford & Sons, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, no one knew them. Uh-huh. Um, I, I heard I actually, iTunes. <laughs> I actually vaguely remember that. I did kind of luck out on that. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, but that's already old. And so you have these two blind men screaming, and everyone's like saying, shut up. And Jesus stops. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And that's what everybody is following Jesus for. They want him to ask that question. Right. There's a reason they're hanging around. Right. They're not well yet. Because as soon as they get made well, they're like, oh, I don't need to walk around with him anymore. Mm -hmm. And so these two blind men, the last, are the first to be served out Mm -hmm. of that crowd that's Mm -hmm. following him. And he says, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus had pity, and he touched their eyes, and he healed. Immediately, they recovered their sight and followed him. So, the, again, so it's good. recalibrating our notions of value. What I realize is we are all the blind men. Yes. Every one of the sweet disciples are blind to the reality of who Jesus is. The rich man who walked away was blind to the reality of who Jesus is. And we are blind to how God values things. We think our hard work and our perfection give us value. Jesus clearly says over and over again, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. Assume a position of the blind man crying out for mercy. Or the children. Or the children. Who are dependent for everything. Or the laborer who's called at the end of the day. You know, you don't deserve it. You're like, Mm -hmm. oh, why am I getting a denarius? I thought I might get a quarter of that. Mm -hmm. Nope. (gasps) Thank you. Right? Assume that position. So I liked how it was all connected there. The reality, um, Jesus has pity on us. The more we realize we're, we're blind. Mm. So. Awesome. 
Good times. All right. All right, let's move to, uh, we're doing Psalm chapter 17 today. Yeah. Do you want to lead us into some some nice parts of there, man? Yeah, so it is interesting because this is a psalm written by David that's very similar to Job's yeah. pleas and cries and suffering. And while we can't be sure, the idea is that he's probably, he's writing the psalm or wrote the psalm in reference to when he was running from Saul. Okay. So he's suffering. He's suffering. He's being chased. He's being hunted. Why? Yeah. He was anointed king and now the promise is being threatened and challenged. Which I have to say... Every time God anoints us, calls us to something, there's immediate headwinds, right? Yeah. There's immediate testing. So that's just a, something to note. If you feel a sudden burst of spiritual blessing and like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm clear on something for the first time in my mm-hmm. life, you need to expect the next day doubt and guilt and shame and attack, spiritual and uh, physical coordination with the evil. Just, to, just expect that mm-hmm. because that's what happens. Um, but in the midst of that testing... This is what faith means. We yeah. remember the goodness of God, and we remember who He has said we are. Right. And one of the verses I wanted to commit to memory in chapter 17 was eight, verse 8. He says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. You know, from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. So he's like, protect me. But I just like the apple of my eye. That's mm-hmm. that look in your eye when you see someone you really love, mm-hmm. you know? When you see your child or you see um, that girl you like in the cafeteria <laughs> and you get in the salad line, even though all you wanted was pizza, that's the apple of your eye, Matt. Right. Thank you. Right. Thank you. <laughs> I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Boom, you've just been fed by ravens. Well, it's been another good day. Mm -hmm. Go in peace and serve the Lord, everyone. See you next time.